Hello everyone. Hello everyone. This is Dr. I and I am at the window. And I am delighted that you decided to join us this morning because we have a very important discussion about health and a very distinguished speaker expert on something that we've come to live with lately and that is COVID. But before we do that, can you believe that we're moving into the holiday season? Um, it's October. Dr. Joe, are you there? I am. Oh, yes. How is it out there in sunny California? Well, it's sunny, as you said, but it's cool. You can tell all across the country that we are headed into, you said the holiday, and that really bothers me because it's mid-October as we speak, and the only holiday that we should be looking at are those holidays that deal with, oh, for those people who do celebrate Halloween, that, and perhaps Thanksgiving, but the fact that we're fast-forwarding now to Christmas already is disturbing to me. And one of the reasons that it's being accelerated this year, as I understand it, is that retailers and, and consumers are worried about shortages this year. We can talk about that on a future show, but there are supply chain issues that are keeping products from getting to where they need to be. And so I'm reflecting on something I read. Wouldn't this be a good year to rethink the whole concept of holidays and holiday giving and presents? And even there's some questions as to whether there should be COVID restrictions on big gatherings. So what a great time to reimagine what the holidays really mean. Back to the old school holiday. Yeah, when we just had fun. When we had fun and we had the wonderful food and we were thankful that we had family surrounding us. And, um, yeah, we've kind of um, lost some of our old school values in this age of technology, but um, they're there. They are waiting for us to embrace them again and to look around us and see just how blessed we really are. Um, right. Right. And when we talk about family, there are those of us who find the holidays to be challenging because family isn't what it used to be. And especially during the pandemic, if we can't be close to loved ones, but remember that family can be blood relatives, but family can be people that you care about or that you're caring for. So just a great time to think about the months ahead. We'll talk about that in future shows. And that's what we call the village. It's not That's necessarily, yeah, not necessarily blood relatives, but people that you care about. And I read something even this morning, Dr. Joe, that said if if somebody's name pops in your head, call them, check on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that with some of my um, friends from dear old Evansville, Indiana, where I'm from. Um, as well as just here in central Ohio, just, you know, how are you? How have you been doing? Um, what what can I do to make your life better? So um, great, great way to t- start talking about what we're going to do today. And um, I am delighted to have um, a guest here that is an expert in health and um I have known her for about um, 
I'm going to say 15 years as my physician. And uh, I think she's on hold now, and I'm waiting for my engineer to come back to take her off of hold. So I'm kind of killing time, folks, but I will read you her bio. It's very impressive. Her name is Dr. Renee Enriquez, and she's been practicing medicine for over 20 years. Um, She, she, oh, she is? Okay. She... um, was inspired to go into medicine by her parents, and she takes it personally. She says that she needed to join the revolution to transform healthcare. And so um, right now, she, um, but before I get there, she is a graduate of Kent State University, and she's had uh, medical training at Riverside Methodist Hospital as well as Northeast Ohio Medical University. She was affiliated with Grant and and, um, Ohio Health for many, many years. And now she works for um, Senior Health Center, which which focuses on people that are middle-aged and older. And um, it's because she likes working with older people, and I think that's wonderful. So welcome, Dr. Enriquez. Thank you, Iris. Um, uh, You can hear me, right? Yes, yes. I thought you were on hold, but yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, Yes, I'm currently... uh, one of the uh, primary care providers and the center medical director at Dedicated Senior Medical Center. And there's three of them in uh, Columbus. I'm at the one on uh, the west side, uh, near West Broad, on uh, North, 50 North Wilson Avenue. And uh, basically, the Dedicated Senior Medical Center is a, is a family-owned uh, primary care and specialty care practice. The parent company is called ChinMed. And they have centers across across the country, uh, almost 100 centers across the country that cater to um, and are committed to delivering uh, superior health care to Medicare-eligible seniors. So this is a perfect time for um, seniors to take control of their health. Medicare Advantage uh, uh, open enrollment has started uh, yesterday. And this is a time to, you know, put yourself first as far as your health. So um, I appreciate you having me on uh, to talk about that. Now, I want to ask you about your statement that um, you were influenced to go into health care by your parents. Tell us what that experience was like. So my father was a uh, general, he was a dentist, family dentist, and my mother was a physical therapist. So, you know, both in the health field, and it was just very uh, something that's always been, you know, fascinating to me. And uh, what I appreciated most was the connection they had with their uh, patients uh, and uh, the kind of fulfillment that they received in helping others. And so, you know, over the years, as I've grown to appreciate that, that just steered me in that direction to... Um, going to the path of medicine okay well we we certainly are glad you made that decision um (laughs) let's get started talking about covid covid has 
evolved into a bad word in our language. Mm-hmm. And um, could you just kind of give us a brief overview of how COVID got here? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not considered an infectious disease specialist, but um, just in general, you know, COVID is part of a family of coronaviruses. So when it first came out, you may have heard the term novel coronavirus. Novel just means new. Um, But the coronavirus family itself is not new. Um, This particular strain uh, happened to be new. but similar viruses that had existed before, like the SARS virus, um, which you may have heard that from in the early 2000, 2003, um, and that stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome. Um, and it was a virus that had uh, affected uh, several, uh, spread to several countries, Asia, North America, um, and then it pretty much uh, became contained uh, a few years after that. But there's that, there's MERS, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. So these viruses have been around. Um, this particular uh, strain, the corona, novel coronavirus 19, is the one that's had the greatest impact um, and causing more deaths than the uh, Spanish flu from uh, 1918. So um, how it evolved, you know, there's still... Uh, trying to figure specifically, you know, how it evolved and how it came. But in general, these types of viruses, this, this particular virus seemed to originate from China, um, but um, they're not specifically sure how. Um, but I will say that sometimes these coronaviruses can infect animals as well, and sometimes they can evolve and, and, and uh, affect people. So I know people have heard that maybe this may have come out from uh, an animal and then maybe um, consuming a particular uh, animal um, resulted in this, but we're really not sure. Was there something in the environment that made it spread so quickly here in the United States? How how did it go from just um, almost unknown to a part of life? Was something in our environment here that supported it? Well, uh, I think that just probably is just the way that it's transmitted. I mean, it's it's highly infectious uh, and easily spread by respiratory droplets. So, in other words, similar to how um, a, a cold or flu is spread, and we know how common the cold is, which is where we get the term common cold. The difference is, is that the effects that it had on the body. So... Something that is spread uh, through the respiratory uh, droplets can easily be spread just from just being in close contact, talking to someone, coughing, um, respiratory droplets in the air. So it's very contagious, uh, you know, obviously is what we've seen. Um, and so, you know, with that, I mean, that it, so it's not surprising how, how it easily spread to affect millions of uh, people worldwide. So this is not just clearly, this is not something that's just in the United States. I mean, this is happening around the world. Is it similar in, in um, I guess, seriousness to anything that we've experienced before? Probably the closest thing would be the the Spanish flu, which is a a strain of the influenza 
that happened in 1918. Um, But since then, the number of people we have never seen, the number of people that have uh, died from this type of viral illness like this. And so polio wasn't even in the conversation. No, no. No, not, but we not did at get all. vaccinated for polio to keep it from spreading. Right, that's how uh, some of these um, viruses have become either contained or no longer exist. Um, is through uh, getting vaccinated. And and for those of us that don't really understand the term vaccinated, could you explain that for us? So I guess probably the best way to start would be to just understand how your body fights an illness. So when a germ or a bacteria or a virus invades your body, that uh, virus attacks and multiplies within your body. So this is where the invasion or the infection is, is occurring, and that's what causes the illness, what causes you to be, be, be sick. Our immune system uh, use several tools to fight an infection. So uh, think of your immune system as, a, as your uh, line of defense. So as part of that immune system, uh, your blood contains uh, red blood cells that carry oxygen to your body and white blood cells. And those are the immune cells that help to fight infection. So those are the tools we use to fight an infection. And again, they're our body's first line of defense. So if you become exposed to uh, a virus, your body produces this uh, first line of defense with these white blood cells, and that helps fight the infection. So knowing that, how a vaccine works, is the vaccine helps our body to develop this immunity to a virus and without us having to get the illness. So in other words... I get the protection from a virus, but I don't have to get the virus in order to develop the protection. Are some people more susceptible to getting these kinds of diseases like COVID than others? So that the people who are most susceptible are going to be uh, those uh, that are over 65, and the reason for that is is because the older that you get, the uh, less strong your immune system is, so that your immune system is not as strong or becomes a little weaker. And so if your immune system is a little weaker, then the ability to fight off the infection has is, is decreased. So people over 65, people that are... Uh, are on maybe uh, certain medicines that suppress their immune system. So again, that the immune system is not as strong. Others with chronic health conditions like diabetes or uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, obesity, cancers, all of these things impair the immune system. And unfortunately, these conditions are heavily weighted in the uh, uh, in people of color, which we have seen. Um, 80% of the COVID deaths that have occurred have been over people over 65. Uh, and the more uh, health conditions you have, uh, it does increase your risk. 
Now, there are three terms I'd like for you to define for our audience. Pandemic, endemic, and epidemic. Easy to get those okay. confused. I, <laughs> it, it, it is. Um, so, yeah, because we do hear those, those, those terms a lot. Um, so, like, a pandemic... Um, is is like an epidemic. Um, it's an epidemic of, of some type of an infectious disease um, that can spread over a large re- region. Um, and then uh, an, an endemic um, uh, is similar, it's, it, but it's uh, it, it, it's something that's stable within a certain uh, number of individuals. It's not a pandemic. Pandemic is what we've seen where we have a widespread epidemic, in this case of the COVID uh, virus. So when you hear pandemic, that means that it's, it's a large area that has been affected, which essentially pretty much every country has been. So right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is an epidemic of an infectious disease, which is COVID. And the endemic would be like what? What disease is endemic? So it's like a, it'd be like a, it, so it'd be something like maybe like a flu. So like a widespread endemic uh, disease with a stable number of infected people. So it's not wide. It's not uh, in the numbers. So it's a smaller number than what would be seen in a pandemic. Okay. It Could it be COVID with um a number of ways to halt the growth of COVID, like we have vaccines now, and could COVID become endemic? Uh, it could with the vaccines. I see what you're asking. You're mm-hmm. wondering if we can make, if we can get control of uh, it. If we can get, if we can get control of it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Um, Before we take a break, I would like for you to, um, if you would, explain to our audience the current vaccines, the differences between them, and um, what's going on with the boosters. Okay. So the vaccines that are out, vaccines that are out today, there's three that have been uh, approved uh, under the uh, Emergency Authorization uh, Act. Uh, that's the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson. So that that's pretty much how people like, can identify with these um, vaccines, the names. Um, and the first one that came out was the Pfizer vaccine, and that one is given in two doses, 21 days apart. Uh, the second is the Moderna that came out next, and that one is uh, also two doses that are 28 days apart, and then the Johnson & Johnson is one dose. The uh, Pfizer has been approved for t- people 12 and over, and the Moderna and Johnson um, 
have been imp- uh, approved for people uh, 18 years and over. What, what did you say about Moderna? I, I didn't catch that. The Moderna and Johnson Johnson are approved for 18 years and older. The Pfizer for 12 years and over, older of age and over. Okay, okay. Um, what about these boosters before we take the break? So the boosters uh, are have received uh, authorization from FDA and CDC for Pfizer, and uh, that will be for uh, the high-risk people, 65 and over, um, uh, chronic health conditions, uh, people who are in high-risk uh, uh, jobs, like um, maybe work in prisons and healthcare. Um, Schools, uh, so those have been approved for uh, uh, six months after the last uh, injection, their last uh, dose for Pfizer. The Moderna and uh, Johnson Johnson have not yet had full approval yet. The uh, FDA just, just I think, just maybe yesterday, uh, the panel agreed uh, on the Johnson Johnson. However, the CDC has not yet. Um, uh, fully uh, authorized that, so that's still in the process. Is there a preference? Is there one better than the other? No, the one that's better is the one that you get, the one that you can get. Okay. Any of these vaccines are very effective at reducing uh, severe illness and hospitalizations and, and death, so any one of them would be uh, effective. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break and uh, come back. And I think Dr. Joe has some questions for our uh, special guest today on the window. So we'll be right back. We are back on the window. And Dr. Joe, are you um, sitting out on your patio looking at the sun out there in California? No, actually, I am so engrossed in this conversation that I've almost forgotten where I am. So thank you for reminding me that as soon as the show ends, I'm going to enjoy where I am right now. But I add my thanks to our guests for being with us today. And I've been very quiet during the first half of the show, which is, as you know, unusual for me. And I like the fact that you all were having a very calm conversation about COVID and the vaccine and I just thought that maybe I needed to calm myself down before I interjected myself into the discussion. And so a lot of what was said in the first half is consistent with the reasons why I'm one of the people who's emotional about what's going on right now. And I think there are people on either side of the spectrum who are emotional. I'm emotional because I believe that we could have been farther along in dealing with this now had it not been for the fact that there's not only such good information out there but such misinformation and so i'm at the end of the spectrum that says gee are we politicizing this to the extent that we are allowing time for more deaths to happen we're allowing time for perhaps new variants to enter the picture and at the other end of the spectrum are people who are concerned about what they believe are infringements on their individual rights. So, Doctor, if I may, first I'm going to try to stay calm, and I'm going to ask you about some of the common objections and concerns we still hear about COVID and about the vaccine. And I'd appreciate your expert opinion, because my not-so-expert opinion is what's driving me to be 
um, concerned about what I say now to be a positive contributor to conversations in the marketplace. Okay, so here goes. I'm going to ask you about some of the things I've heard with the thought in mind of how would you recommend we talk to family and friends and colleagues who still have concerns about what they're hearing about productive ways to get through the virus. All right. Okay. So first, it is my individual right, and no one should tell me what I have to do as it relates to the vaccine or masks or social distancing. What are your thoughts about that? Well, um, you know, with regards to this particular vaccine, um, you know, everyone does have, you know, a right to make their own decisions. Where it may become um, more uh, concerning, at least from my end, would be making an informed decision. Uh, because as you mentioned before, there's a lot of misinformation uh, out there. And so if a decision is based on misinformation and, and not factual information, then that's where it becomes uh, you know, difficult in making that decision uh, that's going to be, you know, the best, in the person's best interest. Um, so, you know, it is it is a thing, you know, where, you know, people say, well, I, I should have a right, you know, to choose uh, whatever uh, route I would like to take as far as, you know, my health. Um so, you know, that is a kind of a slippery slope, but my, my concern is that people are making these decisions based on uh, misinformation. So consistent with what we try to do on the window is to bring the best information we can. And by the way, this is probably the third show we've had where we've talked about COVID. Uh, I think, Dr. I the first thing I would reiterate calmly is for people to get information from multiple sources from multiple reliable sources as they make their decisions. Now, Doctor, what do you think then about mandates, about government mandates for masking, about the pending federal mandate related to the vaccine? Is, is this any different than what we've seen in past years when, for example, children were required and still are required to have certain vaccines before they enter school? Right. I mean, it, you make a, a valid point in that, you know, some of these uh, mandates uh, are, particularly for the, vac the vaccine mandate, uh, no different than uh, the mandate uh, for uh, your MMR, your measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, or, um, you know, other vaccines that are required before uh, your child if they're entering college, um, or in certain cases in the medical field, we're required to get hepatitis B vaccines. So these are no different. I think the, the difference um, that people are perceiving is uh, the perception uh, is because this vaccine is newer. You know, this, this is a newer vaccine that hasn't been out as long as, you know, some of the others. But, um, you know, the other difference is that People haven't died in the hundreds of millions from other viruses or other conditions like they have here. So this was something where this did need to get fast-tracked because people were dying. So if you look at it in that sense, um, 
Yes, I would agree that the, the concept of, you know, mandate is not is not something that's new, but it's, uh, I guess, something new for this this era, I guess. And so we've had previous guests who've addressed that issue of how quickly, if you will, the vaccine was rolled out. My understanding in very simple lay terms is that the technology behind this was not new that this may have been the first time we in the public heard about this vaccine, but it definitely is not the first time scientists went into the laboratory and said, gee, what should we do as it relates to the particular, and again, I'm speaking very much as a lay person, but in terms of the particular chemistry and technology that went into this, it's not new. So with that being the case, the vaccine has been available now for coming up on a year, and so we do have some experience with it now for those who thought that it was so novel they didn't want to try it. Overall, and I know you've cautioned us that infectious disease is not necessarily your area especially, but among the patients that you serve that have gotten the vaccine, what has been your experience with whether they've had adverse effects from being vaccinated? So, yes, you, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, some of the uh, skepticism surrounding the vaccine is uh, typically related to how it was uh, developed or rolled out quickly, and there are uh, concerns that it was not fully tested. Um, but uh, as you said, that this this type of um, vaccines or viruses, they're not new. They had been studied for decades. Um, uh, these vaccines uh, have been studied with uh, viruses like flu and the Zika virus and rabies. Um, there's just uh, been an increased uh, interest in this line of vaccines due to the faster, the, the ability for them to be produced faster. Um, but yes, this is not a new uh, uh, concept, uh, and all steps have been taken to ensure their safety and effectiveness. Um, as far as uh, side effects that I've seen in my patients, um, typically uh, they can have some soreness. The most common thing is maybe soreness for a couple of days at the injection site, you know, which is usually on the arm. Um, I have never had to send anyone to the hospital for uh, a, a reaction or a side effect. Um, other potential uh, side effects that that I've seen, uh, maybe some fatigue, headache. Me personally, myself, I had, uh, I'm fully vaccinated. I had the Moderna vaccine. Um, I had a soreness on my arm for a couple of days. I had some fatigue, a headache, a little bit of nausea. It lasted for a day. Um, I pretty much just slept it off, and the next day I felt like myself. Um, but other things I have seen in patients, um, uh, similar uh, fatigue, body aches. The symptoms uh, that you may get, potential side effects like that, are temporary. I mean, you may feel like you have kind of a flu-like illness where you feel a little tired and achy, but it, it goes away after a few days. The the longest I've seen is maybe someone had it maybe close to a week, and then it and then it's gone. And it's actually a good sign. It's a sign that your body is producing the response uh, or preparing 
to uh, be able to fight it off when you do become, if you do become exposed to COVID. Okay. And, and for people of color, and again, we've had black healthcare professionals on the show over the past year or so talking about the specific concern of people of color based on our sense of how the healthcare system as a whole has historically not only disregarded our needs, but sometimes misused us in terms of patients and, and experimental lab animals, if you will. What would you say to people of color who still have those kinds of concerns as it relates to taking the vaccine? You know, yeah, and, and I definitely have, you know, encountered that in my patients um, where there is some, you know, hesitate, vaccine hesitation uh, surrounding that mistrust. And I guess what I would say to that is, is that, you know, the number of people that have died, which is over 700,000 people, our community has suffered um, the largest and the greatest uh, loss of life um, and that and those that have uh, died from this and you know it, it, it is very frustrating to see that something that, that there is something out there that can help reduce that or prevent that um, and that you know I'm sure uh, all of us have if we don't know someone personally maybe we know someone um, of someone who has died from this. Um, I would say that, you know, there's been over 60 some million people that have gotten the vaccine, um, at least the first dose. So I can understand the hesitancy when it first came out because it's kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, what is this going to do? But with the numbers of people that have received the vaccine and that have been fine, and knowing the number of people that have died from the virus, I would say the virus is your enemy, not the vaccine. The virus is your enemy, not the vaccine. And so I would add to that to echo practitioners we've had in the past. And if, if you haven't heard some of those shows, these are brilliant folks of, of all ages, physicians just starting out people who have been um, practitioners for, for decades. And this is what we as, as a race of people have said we wanted, people who look like us and people who have our interests at heart talking to us about our needs. And so that is one of my frustrations when we have people like you who have no reason to lie to us, but, but instead to bring us the best medical information you have, not just based on what other scientists have said, but what you've experienced, I would just add that um, if anyone is uncomfortable with their current healthcare practitioner and doesn't trust their advice, maybe it's time to switch to a new practitioner if there's someone who you would listen to a bit more. Um, shifting gears, talking about children, and I know children aren't your specialty, but we're hearing more about children and the virus. It used to be that we would hear about people who were more typical of the patients you have, which you talked about in the first half of the show, older patients, but why is it that we're hearing more about young people and children with the virus now, and, and, and what can we do as parents and grandparents to address that? Yeah, I think, well, one of the uh, reasons we're hearing more about children 
uh, in COVID is, you know, last year when the pandemic uh, started, uh, we were on lockdown and then schools were closed. And so children were at home. You know, now uh, the schools are opening back up. Children are in school. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's some uh, schools that don't require masks. So it's, you know, it's not uh, a mandate, but it's an option. And the data has shown that in, in those types of situations, there have been more uh, cases of COVID uh, in uh, places that do not require masks. So we're hearing more about children because they're in school and uh, uh, in person, and uh, there's increased incidence of cases uh, amongst children. Um, fortunately, the, there has been approval for the Pfizer vaccine um, to be administered for children uh, 12 and over. Um, so, you know, but unfortunately, those under 12 have not, it has not yet, yet been approved. It should be coming soon, hopefully. But, uh, you know, that just raises the risk for, uh, you mentioned grandparents and, and other uh, uh, caregivers to young children. They may carry the virus. They may not have symptoms or have very mild symptoms like a cold and can easily spread that to their uh, grandparents or parents or whoever their caregivers are. And I've actually seen a lot of that recently um, in my patients. They uh, you know, end up turning uh, positive for COVID after recent, you know, contact with grandchildren um, or, or younger children. As we head into break now, one more quick question about maybe the most vulnerable of the children population, pregnant women. Should pregnant women get the vaccine? Definitely. We're going to take a break now on the window and come back and talk about all things COVID and a few more health-related issues for you. We'll be right back. We are back on the window. And Dr. Joe, I believe you've got some follow-up questions. I do. Once again, we are talking about health, which is a topic we can never get enough of. And in particular, we're talking about COVID and where we stand now. And for the most part, we're in a society that is partially vaccinated. And we're talking about what the next steps might be. So a few more questions, and then Dr. I, I'll turn it back over to you. I, I, I recently had the flu. And okay, I was terrified that it wasn't the flu. And I got tested four times in one week, which my friends and family still think is pretty funny, but they weren't coming around me until I got those negative test results. So um, <laughs> could you talk to us about flu shots? Is it still necessary to get a flu shot this season? Uh, it is. Uh, it is uh, very uh, necessary, particularly now that we also are dealing with COVID. Um, you know, and so the potential to get COVID and flu uh, potentially at the same time is, is is definitely a possibility. And we know what COVID does alone. So um, the fact that it could be combined with the flu um, is even more worrisome. 
we didn't see as many cases last year because people were pretty much in their homes or not in, uh, not out, uh, interacting. Um, so, but this year now that, uh, people are out and businesses are open, um, we will see a more flu definitely than we did last year. So it is important to get that flu vaccine. And with regards to pregnant women, um, it's always been recommended that women get the flu vaccine, uh, pregnant women get the flu vaccine. And just recently, there was a strong recommendation from the CDC for pregnant women to get the COVID vaccine. Um, uh, pregnant women, or pregnancy is considered actually one of the uh, underlying uh, medical conditions that puts you at a higher risk for severe, severe illness from COVID. So uh, I just wanted to reiterate that it is strongly recommended that women uh, that are pregnant get the uh, COVID vaccine uh, as well as the flu vaccine. And Dr. Anarikis, one last question. And, and again, I'm trying to maintain my calm composure consistent with the tone that you and Dr. I have set for this. Is COVID just like the flu and it will just go away on its own through natural immunity? No, COVID is not going to go away, just similar to how the flu is not gone. Uh, it will be here. Um, the hope is that the more people that get vaccinated um, and with time, uh, that your symptoms in response to getting uh, COVID will be uh, less severe than potentially they are now for uh, a lot of people. You know, people are people are are, are dying in large numbers from uh, COVID. Um, it's different than what we see with the flu, as far as the severity and the number of people that have severe illness. We had never seen the number of people on ventilators or that have uh, required hospitalization with the flu uh, compared to COVID. So. Hopefully, over time, as more and more people get vaccinated, we will see that the virus no longer has that same impact as far as the severity of symptoms. And that's the hope. That's what we call that herd immunity that people are talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and then one final, final question. I know I keep saying it's my final <laughs> question, but <this> is so <laughs> that's all right. I'm used to that. But that's okay. <laughs> so much time on this show to this over the past few months. So I am, I am um, back at work now. I had worked at home for about a year and a half and we're back in a hybrid format. So we're all getting used to being in the same work environment with those who have um, different and similar opinions about the, the virus and the vaccine. And so one objection that I hear um, is that, gee, I know people who have gotten the vaccine and they still get COVID. And so before I ask you for your expert thoughts on that, I will tell you that my non-expert thoughts are to say to people, well, I know people who follow all the traffic laws and they still got in an accident. But the reason that we all work together to stop at red lights and not drive 90 miles an hour through each other's neighborhood is to minimize the risk. Traffic laws don't eliminate the risk of getting in an accident, but they greatly minimize the risk and the effects if you should be in an accident. So with that, 
what should be said to people who say, gee, I know someone who got the shot, but they still got COVID and therefore the shot doesn't work. So uh, I, I like that uh, comparison to the traffic laws. Um, not heard that one, but that is a good example. Um, as far as, you know, the vaccines, uh, getting the vaccine and then getting what, what you may hear the term breakthrough symptoms um, where or breakthrough infection, I'm sorry, where a, a person has been vaccinated and they get, uh, despite having had the vaccine, um, the, the difference between someone who has been vaccinated and someone who hasn't um, and that gets, gets COVID is the person that has not had the vaccine and can typically end up in the uh, hospital and end up on a ventilator or end up dying. The person who has had the vaccine and gets COVID usually has some mild uh, cold symptoms uh, at home um, and does not require hospitalization. So that is the difference. So the vaccines are not meant to prevent you from getting the illness itself. It's to prevent the severe symptoms which result in death and hospitalization. And so, and for those who, uh, and just to reiterate how the vaccine works, it it helps your body develop the immunity that you need, so that when you do, uh, uh, if you do become exposed to the virus, you're ready to fight that off. The body is ready to uh, defend itself and fight that off. And it may take a few weeks after you get the vaccination to produce the uh, the cells that you need for that protection. And so in that time that you get the shot into the time you get the full protection, there's still a chance that you could be become infected. So for the people that say, well, I got the shot and then it made me sick, that could potentially be because you may have been exposed to it before you had a chance for the body to develop the protection it needed um, after the uh, vaccination. It's interesting to me how many political leaders who speak out against mandates will also say that they exercise their right to get the vaccine. And so sometimes I think their followers might miss that one point that they stress, gee, the government shouldn't tell you what to do. However, I would strongly suggest you get the vaccine because I got it. That really is my final question because I can feel myself not being calm anymore. So thank you so much to you and all the other healthcare professionals who are guiding us through this while still dealing with all the other health care issues that need to be dealt with. We are very grateful to you for doing that. There's Dr. Two, I'll kick yeah, back to you now. Thank you. There's two other points I want to ask Dr. Enriquez about before we say goodbye for the day. Um, what is the Delta variant and the, and the shoe variant or something from the Orient? Is this something else we need to be afraid of? Uh, so yeah, the, the the Delta variant is um, another strain of um, uh, coronavirus. The thing with viruses is that they do, you know, they mutate, so they do change. So it's just another um, mutation, and you'll see. Uh, you're you're going to hear other names of different uh, mutations as well. Um, the Delta just happens to be one that has caused. Um, so more the most of severe infection and is uh, highly infectious and contagious. 
Um, and so that's why you hear that um, being talked about a little more. But there are other uh, mutations out there um, that don't appear to be causing as much um, the, uh, trouble as the uh, Delta variant. Okay. Question. You've got some problems in the healthcare industry that I've been reading about. And one of them is the lack of medical workers. Some of your employees are refusing to be vaccinated. And then others are just saying, I quit. How are you managing through that? So directly, the the company I work for, um, TenMed, which is the parent company, but the uh, centers, the dedicated senior medical, they do require um, workers to be vaccinated against COVID. Um, You know, unless there was a a, a, a medical uh, issue um, or a waiver from, uh, for religious reasons. But at our center, uh, there's, 99% 99% of people are vaccinated or, or, or across the centers. Um, majority of the workers are uh, vaccinated. Um, there are some that have quit, um, particularly at our center, maybe just one um, that uh, decided they did not want to get there and they're no longer with us. Um, but there are, you're right, there are other uh, institutions where a large number of healthcare providers are leaving the job um, um, because of the mandate. And that goes in other areas, too. But it's, it's unfortunate. But the way I look at it is um, think of yourself being at a restaurant and as your waitress or waiter or your cook went and used the bathroom. You know, there's a sign that says, you know, everyone must wash their hands after they use the bathroom. What if they decide, ah, my, I have a right to not wash my hands. And then they went back and then, you know, prepared your food and brought your food to you. That'd be a health Yuck. hazard to you, right? Mm. Well, that, that would be a health hazard to you. Mm. So are we concerned about someone's right to wash their hands or are we concerned about a health crisis? How are you managing with the lack of workers, though? I hear that there are um, nurses and practitioners just worn out from working so many hours. Well, our particular, you know, in the outpatient field, we've been lucky in that we have uh, retained uh, pretty much most of our staff and um, have been lucky from that uh, aspect. But, you know, you are are right. There are some um, uh, uh, offices uh, that are uh, experiencing a shortage of workers. I would say it's probably more seen within the hospital because they're the first line of healthcare workers and they're uh, seeing more of the actual COVID cases, uh, the severe cases, obviously that's in the hospital. So I would say that probably is more impact, impacted by the hospital workers. Um, but luckily we have not, uh, you know, experienced a severe shortage. But, you know, when we, when we are short or periods where maybe someone is, is out, um, we have been able to still, um, you know, take care of our patients. Um, it's what we, you know, were signed up to do. And, you know, we're, we've been able to make make do with it. Well, as we kind of wrap up our show, um, doctor, could you give your contact information to our audience in case they would like to 
um, join your practice? Sure. Uh, so it's called Dedicated Senior Medical Center, and I'm uh, located at the West Broad location, 50 North Wilson Road. Uh, and uh, our website is uh, dedicated uh, dedicated.care. Um, you can look us up on the website. If you're looking for, you know, respectful doctors who listen, um, dedicated specialists, medication services, um, we offer on-site tests and screenings, and we also offer door-to-doctor transportation, um, which is important um, for some people who aren't able to uh, ha- have their own, uh, uh, make it to their own uh, providers. Um, so uh, we have three centers, uh, the West Side, the one on Morse Road, and one on East Main and Whitehall. And your phone number? Phone number uh, to our center is uh, 614. Oh, let me make sure I give you. Oh, well, actually, you know what? You can, when you look up on dedicated.care and click on um, the Columbus centers, you'll be able to find the numbers to all of our centers. Okay, okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Enriquez. I I have always appreciated her very calm, warm manner because I'm kind of an emotional health person. So I appreciate um, your role in my life. Um, just two quick things. Um, if you have benefited from this conversation today, please email us at windowviewnow at gmail.com windowviewnow at gmail.com and let me get you all pumped up for our next show our next show next Saturday is going to be called Colored People we are going to have a Native American and a Hispanic American join us to talk about our similarities and our differences, and why we need to come together right now. Dr. Joe, are you going to come back and be with me next Saturday? I think I'll do that. Oh, boy. I know um, Pastor (laughs) Wayne and I will be so excited to have you here. Um, The East High School group. (laughs) Uh, That's Pastor Wayne, folks. Thank you so much for looking through the window with us, and we hope you will join us next Saturday at noon EST. Have a wonderful weekend.